0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Whitaker, And today I'm going to talk about a question I'm often asked, and that is, should you buy an existing business or build a business from the beginning, build it from scratch? Now, there's no one size fits all as an answer. So let's talk about both options. And Look at the advantages and disadvantages of of both. Now, I've done both and there is definitely for's and there's definitely against with both options. And obviously, they'll vary dramatically depending on the business you're buying and the situation that you're in as a potential buyer. So, first of all, let's talk about the things that come under the Against list of buying an existing business. I suppose the first one, the, you know, the number one, the biggest challenge with buying an existing salon is that most salon businesses are built around the person who owns it. And so when they leave, the value of the business often leaves with them. You see, when I sold my salons, that's Exactly what happened. I mean, my salons were were called Anthony Whitaker hairdressing. So that makes it even more of a problem when the business is named after a person. So, you know, you, you have to be really careful about the type of business you're buying, because if it is very much built around a person and it's, you know, got their name on the door, when they leave, it, it makes it even more of a risk that the business can potentially. Uh, you know, leave with them. So you've got to take that into consideration and you've got to be very careful about that because, you know, when I sold my salons, um, the person who bought them within three years, they basically gone bust because, you know, they'd underestimated, you know, how much the value of the brand was in me being there. And to tell you the honest truth, I'd overestimated or underestimated uh, how important that was as well. And, you know, once I'd left, it was sort of like the soul of the business had gone out of it. And no matter what they tried to do, they couldn't, um, you know, keep the clients, they couldn't keep the staff. And their whole way of running the business was, you know, very different to how I ran it. And so it didn't work for them, unfortunately. So, um, anyway, let's, let's move on. So, so, so that's my first one is, you know, that you need to be very careful, uh, based on is it built around the person who is selling it? Because, you know, there's red lights flashing if that's the case. The second point I put down is that you need to be really cautious about what the person who's selling it is going to do. Because, you know, despite all the assurances that they may give you, they, they may go and open another salon. And when they open another salon, they take the clients and the staff with them. Now, you know, they're going to say to you that they're not going to do that. And maybe at the time, they even, you know, are not planning on doing that. But six months down the line or a year down the line or whatever it is, that may be exactly what they do. And uh, I've seen it happen more than once. So, you, you, you know, you've got to be very cautious and you've got to make sure that you don't try and take shortcuts. I see so many hairdressers sort of look at spending money on, you know, getting proper legal contracts or spending money with, you know, an accountant that, that they think they're saving money by not doing that. But you need to make sure that you've got legal contracts in place that have stipulations in it. For example, that are going to you know protect you about the person who's selling it, and have some clauses in there that prohibit them from opening up um, you know within X amount of time uh, and within X radius. Um, because otherwise, you know, you, are very leaving yourself unnecessarily open, um, you know, to that being abused. Okay. So the third one I got on my list is that when you buy an existing business and, you know, in, in many ways, every time I look at one of these, I think this is actually the most important, but, but they're, they're all as important as each other. And, and the third one I put that on my list is that when you buy an existing business, you're buying and inheriting an existing culture. And that the culture of that business may be very different to the way that you want to run the business. And so you're going to want to change it. And and that's where a lot of problems come in. And And this is, you know, exactly what happened with my business is that, you know, I I sold my salons, and the people that bought them already had salons, uh, but the type of salons they had, and the target market that they had, and the way they ran them and managed them was very different to mine. And so they underestimated the you know the culture and and the value that you put on a culture as to how the culture of a business you know, makes it, makes it work. And, and culture is something that, you know, I talk about a lot in, in my seminars and, uh, in my, in my books. Um, you know, so I'm not going to go into it a lot of detail here, but, you know, it, it's almost an invisible thing, but even though I was still on the scene for a bit, once I was no longer, um, directly involved in my business or owning my business very quickly, the culture started to change. And it's like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's an invisible thing. So, you know, When you take over a business, you're going to want to almost definitely change the culture. And that's where the problems start. And so so that's what leads us into number four, because with the business comes the people. And some of those people are going to be great. Okay. But remember, you're the newbie and the existing team are not willingly going to want to embrace all the changes that you inevitably want to make. You see, you're coming into their pitch and some of them will not be happy about that. And in fact, you know, some of them are going to be really disappointed because in all likelihood, they didn't know the business was being sold okay because the person who's selling the business is not going to broadcast to everyone that the business is being sold because if they do that they risk that the staff might leave before the sale goes through and then therefore the value of the business can start to you know crumble in front of them so so the staff that are there when you buy that business are often going to feel betrayed they're going to feel disillusioned some of them are going to feel angry and you know no matter how nice you are they're already decided that they're probably not going to like you. And, and some of them may even consciously sabotage everything that you're doing. So number five is it's sometimes seen, and you might see how this can be a good idea to get around some of these challenges that we've already spoken about. And that is this, and it's sometimes seen as a good idea for the owner to stay on for a handover period sometimes for as much as 12 months or more. Now, that's an example of what I did. I actually stayed on in my business for a period of 12 months as the new owners took over. But it was no longer my business, and I knew that I was no longer responsible for it, and I was no longer you know, responsible to make certain decisions. But it, it was an awkward and uncomfortable place for me to be, and it was also an awkward and uncomfortable place for the staff to be. But I've also seen that that can work with people because, you know, it very much depends on the integrity of the person that's selling and it it, it depends on what their motives are after they've sold. You know, for example, maybe they want to retire. And, uh, you know, they're giving up hairdressing and that's it. And they just want to stay on and help you in the transition for as long as possible. And and maybe, you know, you're very, very happy with the way they've been doing everything. So you just want to, um, you know, carry on with that. So y- you can see how that can work and that can work really well. And it makes the staff feel more secure and it makes the clients uh, uh, feel more secure. So, you know, it can work, but... There can also be a downside, and and that is that you are going to find it very hard to take a back seat, in that it's no longer your business, and and you know you, you might find, or you know if you're the person who's potentially buying the business, you might find that the person you're buying it off, who who is staying on for you know x months, uh, they might be meddling in everything that you're trying to do, and that the team are. Probably going to take more notice of them than you, and um, you know that can obviously create many you know challenges within itself because sometimes the very person who you think's on your side, they can actually end up being the very person that's undermining you, and and the you know the previous owner can end up turning into. You know, the staff room terrorist. So, um, again, you know, as I say, there is no guaranteed formula here as to whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, but you can see some of the things that you uh, need to take into consideration here. So, the sixth point I put on my list is that when the ownership changes, it's an unsettling time for both the staff and the clients because they might decide, well, if it's change time for the owner, then it's also going to be change time for them. So you can end up buying a business that you know, might have you know, half a dozen staff or a dozen staff one day, but within three or four months, they've all gone because they've decided it's time for a change for them. And face it, those clients that are there, they are in all likelihood going to have more loyalty to the staff that have been doing their hair uh, as opposed to some new owner that has walked in and taken over. So, you know, it's a very fragile and vulnerable time in the business when uh, you do take it over. So, I, I suppose they are, you know, sort of six red flags that you want to be, you know, aware of if you're thinking of buying a business and uh, it's an existing business. And, and, and there are six things that are maybe against it. Uh, the other thing that sort of, you know, dovetails in with that is let's call it my number seven. And that is that most people that I talk to who have bought an existing business have paid too much for it. Now, obviously, I was the exception. (laughs) They didn't pay me uh, nearly enough. But no, seriously, most people pay too much for it. So you're in a very vulnerable position when you're buying a business because the worth or the value that's put on it, um, you know, there's so many it depends components to it. So let's have a talk about, you know, price for a minute, because obviously the person who's selling something they think it's worth more than what you do as the person buying. So the person who's selling is always going to want a lot more for it than potentially it is worth. And uh, the value that they put on it may not be wrong, but what they're selling it as and what you actually end up getting can be two very different things in terms of what you end up getting a month down the line or two months down the line of, you know, a lot of people have left, et cetera. So how is that uh, valuation figure put on it? Well, there is no exact science to this. There are lots of things to take into consideration, and uh, you know, ultimately, it's that adage that uh, that old adage that something is worth what you are prepared to pay for it. Okay, so how do they arrive at it? Well, usually, you know, they will have spoken to um, you know an, an accountant, a financial advisor, or something, and they would have come up with a figure, and they will usually try and justify it to you as being it as that figure being some sort of multiple of either the total profit that the salon makes per year or some sort of multiple of what the total sales are per year. Um, And depending on the country you're in, you know, someone might say it's two times that, someone might say it's four times that. It varies a lot. So, there is no right or wrong. But if you're the seller, you can't put the price up. Uh, but you can put the price down. So, you know, that th- they're going to come in with a, with a higher figure. But even with it being based on some, you know, accounting formula as to it being a multiple of the amount of profit per year or a multiple of the uh, total sales, there are other things to consider. So, like, for example, you might say a business is worth $100,000 know, or pounds, and it might be today. But then when you do a little bit of digging, you might find that there's only six months left on the lease. So. If there's only six months left on the lease or 12 months left on the lease, um, I would seriously you know, question whether you'd wanna buy that business because the value of the business is gonna be impacted by the length of the lease. So if there's a five-year lease or a 10-year lease, you would feel probably a lot more comfortable about buying that business um, than if there was six or 12 months left on the business. Obviously, that would impact on the price. Another thing that you might want to take into consideration, and I would suggest the owner that's selling it is definitely going to be taking it into consideration, and that is the uh, fixtures and fittings. So meaning, you know, the chairs, the mirrors, the shampoo stations, the reception desk, all that sort of stuff. So how much is that worth? Well, the answer is it depends. Uh, what does it depend on? Well, if it's two or three years old, it's basically second-hand furniture, and it's not worth a lot, despite the fact that the salon owner might think it's worth a lot because a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, they spent half a million dollars or pounds on it. They think it's still worth that. Well, unfortunately it's not. Once it's five years old, it's basically someone else's, you know, secondhand furniture that is worth very little. If it's a year old and it's been given a really good fit out and an expensive fit out, well, then there might be uh, a, a, um, you know, a a, a component of value that's attached to that. It's really a matter of how much is that value that they are attaching to it. So fixtures and fittings is one component. Length of the lease is another component. Uh, Another component is the inventory. Um, so in other words, you might agree on buying a business today for, you know, let, let's just say for, you know, a, a, a number, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand pounds or euro or whatever. But how much of that is about stock on hold? Meaning that when you buy that business, if you're the person selling it, you're probably going to want to run the stock down. Uh, So, you know, before a purchase price is agreed, you need to come up with a figure that it's going to include inventory on hold so that as the the transition point is coming up, that the owner that's selling it isn't running the stock down because obviously they don't want to be stocking a salon with inventory uh, for you unless they're being paid for it. So, usually what you would come up with is a figure for inventory on hold at the uh, day that the sale is completed. So, so you can see there are a number of components here that are going to impact on what that price is. And again, I would highly recommend that you have professional advice when you're doing this. Um, and that means, you know, accountant, lawyer, whatever. Uh, because if, especially if you haven't done this before, um, you're going to be a bit like a deer in the headlights and very easy to be taken advantage of. So, the next question is to, and it's very much linked with that, is why are they selling? Now, when I say why are they selling, I mean the real reason why they're selling because obviously they're going to tell you one reason and it might be the real reason, but it may not be. So, you know, it might be because they're going to retire. Um, it might be because of ill health. It might be because they're moving cities or, or moving country or, or or their partners change jobs and they need to move or, or maybe it's because they want to start a family. It, it can be all sorts of things, but you want to know, you know, why they are selling because it might be because Well, the person selling has been working 60 or 70 hours a week. They've sunk their life savings into it and they're in debt up to their eyeballs and they just want out. Now, obviously, they're not going to tell you that, but that might be the reason why they're selling. Is it because the staff are an absolute nightmare and it's destroying them and that's why they're selling it? Is it because the owner has found it impossible no matter what they do, to make money from it because the pricing is wrong, the client base is wrong, the staff that are there are wrong, and they've found it impossible to make money from? Is it because the landlord is an absolute monster in whatever that means to you? Is it because there's problems with the building? So, might there be structural problems with the building that you don't know about? Um, you know, service charges or, um, you know, the, the building, not just your salon uh, needs a refurb and all the tenants need to contribute X to it. Um, is it because the area is under development? So, you know, uh, are there major changes happening in that area in terms of uh, a zoning for businesses, in terms of um, upheaval that might be happening in terms of construction, that You know, public transport infrastructure, all that sort of stuff. So, you you can see that these are the things that are, you know, usually referred to as, as due diligence, you know, things that you need to look into before you consider purchasing. So, what's the next one I've got on my list here? Well, uh, the next thing I put on my list, and you will be happy to know, is it's the fours. So, the reasons why you might decide to buy an existing business, because there are lots of advantages. So, let's have a look at what they are. If you buy an existing business, that means that in some description, it's already functioning with staff, with clients with relationships and that community with professional relationships with different suppliers uh, banks insurance companies etc so you're buying into something that has already been set up and is functioning and has proven success to whatever degree and do not underestimate how much is is put in place at the beginning you know to get something up and running so let's have a look at my list here buying An existing business usually means that it's going to come with staff. Now, whether they stay or not isn't guaranteed, but if it comes with staff, then it comes with clients. And if it comes with clients, then it comes with an immediate cash flow. That goes with it, and that's a major plus over starting from scratch. Because you know, if you start a business from scratch, you, you may very well be starting it without any clients and just cross fingers. And it can take a lot longer than a lot of people anticipate to, to build up that cash flow. And often they don't have the you know the fallback position in terms of equity. Um, so you know, starting a, or buying an existing business that already has cash flow is very valuable thing to do. So what else? Well, my second point on the list is that an existing business will have some structure and some systems in place. Now, depending on the business, you may want to change those systems. Sometimes you might want to change them a little bit. Sometimes you might want to change them a lot. But if it's well-structured and has good operating systems, it can save you a lot of time, a lot of heartache, a lot of experimenting, and a lot of hard work. So, you know, do not underestimate the value of having some structure and systems in place already. Number three is an existing business will already have established itself as part of a local community and, you know, hopefully have good relationships and, and local support that comes with it, whether it's from, you know, local families, uh, uh, local schools and other small businesses in the area. Uh, And that can be, you know, a great advantage in terms of, you know, uh, uh, marketing and, uh, you know, enabling you to set in and feel like you belong to, uh, part of a community. The, the fourth thing very much, you know, connected with that is that an existing business will already have relationships with suppliers, banks, and tradespeople, you know, insurance companies, utilities, and all the correct licenses, et cetera. And, you know, again, you might have your own network of that, but if it's your first foray into business ownership, you know, those established and trusted relationships, they can be a great benefit, you know, getting into a, a, a on where there's already, you know, this is our electrician, this is our plumber, this is our IT company, this is our handyman. All those sort of things, you know, can take a long time to, you know, to set up and, and establish. So, number five on my list is assuming that it is a profitable concern. You know, buying an existing business is proof There's an established market for your products and services um, and the target market that you're wanting to attract. So so the risk element is less. And, yeah, therefore, you're going to find it's probably a lot easier to get finance based on real facts and figures, you know, because you're going to have the the sellers, um, excuse me, profit and loss report. As opposed to just having projections, you know, based on guesstimates in, in order to get finance, you know, from, from, uh, uh, banks or, or family members or ho- whoever, you know, you're, um, you know, getting finance from. So, you know, you, you can see that there are some definite fours for buying an existing business and some definite against for buying uh, an existing business. So, you know, there's lots of questions that you need to ask yourself. Um, And I've I've made a list here uh, that we can work through, you know, as we sort of, you know, go through this sort of questioning, um, you know, process. So uh, I suppose, you know, that the first question is to ask yourself is, do you have any experience in the industry? So it's one thing, being a hairdresser already working in a salon that you take over because there's a lot less risk element to doing that. And sometimes, you know, salons are sold to the existing staff members. And so obviously, you know, the the risk in buying an existing salon that you've already worked in is a lot less than being someone who comes in from the outside who wants to buy it. And, you know, another thing that you need to consider is that, you know, if you're someone who, who comes in from the outside, who, you know, for whatever the reason, thinks that this is a good business opportunity to spend their life savings on, is taking a huge risk as opposed to someone who has an inherent understanding of the business and the clients and being a hairdresser. Now, don't get me wrong here. Not being a hairdresser is not necessarily a disadvantage. In fact, you know, sometimes it's an advantage to not be a hairdresser as it really forces you to focus on the business side of things. In other words, it forces you to focus on cash flow management. It forces you to focus on marketing. It forces you to focus on people management and team building, etc. Whereas when a hairdresser takes over a business, When they start or or, or start a business, what they tend to focus on is doing hair. And they tend to not focus enough because they don't know enough about it on the business side of things. So, you know, there's a balance to be found there. But if you're not from the hairdressing industry, you really have to realize that in hairdressing, your people are Your product, unlike, for example, if you were buying a retail shop that you know sells clothes, for example, well, the staff can come and go without it adversely affecting your business. Whereas, in hairdressing, the staff are your product, and if the staff go, your product goes, and, and the client will usually go with them. So, do not underestimate the importance of the the people. The staff, because if you buy a business and you do not get the staff on site, it's only a matter of time before you lose the business and you lose your investment with it. So have you got what it takes? Obviously, the first thing to take into consideration is the price. As you know, the the, the potential buyer, you're, you're gonna need to have at least three years profit and loss to validate. And you need to do this with an accountant. Don't take shortcuts and think, well, they're going to charge me, you know, a couple of grand or five grand or whatever it is. It, it could save you a hundred grand. Okay. So do not take shortcuts. Okay. So um, let's dig in a little bit more about that. Now, sometimes a person selling it is going to say something to you like, um, well, here's the p and but... They don't show everything. In other words, what they're saying to you is that they've been taking money out of the business illegally, okay? So they're going to be saying to you that the p and shows that the business doesn't make a profit, but then they're going to say to you, but I just want to let you know I've been taking a couple of grand out a week. Now, not only is that illegal, but this is the time where it comes to you know, bite them on the backside, so to speak. Because, you know, when you're selling a business, that part of the story is irrelevant. And if you buy into that part of the story as the buyer, then you're you're just plain stupid, okay? Because the value of the business is gonna be based on the p ls and what the business can really be proven to be showing. It is not gonna be based on, you know, someone saying that, you know, they've been creaming some money off the top. And that's yet another reason why, not just because it's illegal, But it's yet another reason why, you know, you should run a legitimate business and not have to cream money off the top for it to be a profitable uh, going concern. So, the other thing you want to think about is what does the price include, okay? Because sometimes people have bought businesses and and found out that it includes a lot of debt that goes with it. Now, some of this can vary from country to country. Um, So, are you taking over debt in pension funds, for example? Because uh, I know that that can happen and many a person has been caught out by that depending on the country that you're in. Uh, Or it can be debt for, for other things that you might be taking over. For the cost of uh, uh, equipment, you know, that the salon has been leasing and paying off. Um, it could be uh, what else does the sale price include? Is, is there any contracts in there that you need to know about um, with, for example, maybe people who sublet a portion of the space that you're buying into? Um, other things that we need to talk about is how will you finance it? Is it going to be your personal savings? Is it going to come from the bank? Is it going to come from family? Is it going to be external investors? All of these questions are things that you need to ask yourself about. Will you, will you do it by yourself or will you finance it with partners? And if it's going to be with partners, how much will each partner stump up? And, and what is that partnership agreement going to be about? And again, do not take shortcuts with that because it always ends in tears. Another thing you might have to consider is does all the money have to be paid up front or is there a possibility to pay it in a series of installments over time? So say for example, I was selling a business today, I might say to you, well, it's 100 grand and you give me 50 grand now and you give me another uh, 25 grand in six months time and another 25 grand in six months time after that. Uh, That sort of thing is, is not uncommon, especially if it's staff members buying a business. Uh, what else might you ask? Um, well, is there a clawback position? Now, this would be an interesting one. You you might agree on a price, let's say, again, that $100,000 or £100,000 or euros, whatever the number's going to be. Uh, you might say, okay, Anthony, I'm going to pay you $100,000 for that business today, but I'm going to give you fifty dollars up front and the other fifty grand I'm going to give you in 12 months' time provisional on the figures still being there and there being some sort of uh, formula to work out a depreciating amount on that 50 grand in the event that you still owe, in the event that it's not there and that the staff leave and the clients leave or whatever. Again, uh, you need legal help to put something like that together because that links into that very thing. Will the staff stay? And another component is, Do you want them to stay? Because sometimes, you know, you might buy a business and you might look at the staff and go, there's no way on God's earth I want those staff or some of those staff to stay because uh, a lot of them may not be your sort of people. and Maybe you value the location, you value the lease, uh, but the staff that you're inheriting are not the sort of people that that you want to employ. So, uh, again, what are the legal implications around that? Uh, another thing you might uh, that might come into this is do you already have a salon so is this an expansion move you know uh, if you have another salon how will that work out so for example where will you work you know will you put someone else in there as a manager or will you work in there will the staff of this new salon you're taking over uh, will they move around between different salons uh, will you rebrand it or, or you know will you rebrand it under the name of your existing salon uh, or will you keep it the same as what it is or will you keep it the same as what it is for a period of time and then rebrand it Um, does does this new salon need a refit you know as part of the takeover you know if you do buy it are you straight away going to you know close it down for a couple of weeks and give it a complete refit and a rebrand and uh, you know have a reopening and and what does that look like Um, what about the neighbours are the neighbours again this is sometimes the reason behind why some businesses are sold because they have, you know, problems with, uh, with neighbors as well as landlords. So, you know, wh- what, about the neighbors? Are they a fit for your business? I would check them out before you, you know, you pay anything. Uh, will the owner stay? As I mentioned, uh, do you want them to stay? How long do you want them to stay? What role will they stay in? Um, if you're a non hairdresser, let's, let's get this one on the table. If you're a non hairdresser, are hairdressers is easy to work with. no. More often than not, that's the answer. They're not always easy to work with, especially if you are a non hairdresser because they will pull that card on you straight away. That is, uh, you don't understand card. Um, and it's, it's not rocket science. It is easy to understand. And as I said, sometimes it's actually advantageous to not be a hairdresser, uh, because what you do understand is business and what they might understand is doing hair, but, um, it, it can often be a card that they pull on you, uh, which is, you know, the beginning of the end, so to speak. So, um, I'm not saying that you do understand, but as I said earlier on, do not underestimate how important it is to get the people on side and that you do understand them and you do understand their world. It doesn't mean you have to learn to cut hair or color hair or whatever, but you want to understand what makes them tick because... Many a person's found out that they can be a special breed unto their own. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they might defy what you think is normal common sense. Um, Okay. So, what else have I got on my list? Are you a leader? because it's a people business that you're buying. So whether you are a hairdresser or uh, whether you're coming in from the outside, are you a leader? Because you you need to be good with people. You need to be good at communicating and you need to be good at building teams because as I say, your people are your product. Another thing to consider is that sometimes people who are buying a business are buying a franchise and uh sometimes they buy a franchise uh from within so they're already hairdressers and uh Uh, So like Tony and Guy, for example, you know, you you can't buy a a Tony and Guy, I believe, unless you have come within uh, the ranks of a a Tony and Guy business. Other franchises um, are not like that. In fact, other franchises prefer you not to be a hairdresser. And so, you know, I know people who, who buy a hairdressing franchise and they buy it as a turnkey business. And sometimes those businesses are. A turnkey business uh, because of the way they've been set up. And they might have uh, a lot of support or in other cases, maybe they don't have a lot of support. So, if you're buying it as a franchise business, you need to be, you know, it's buyer beware. Uh, does this business run on its own as a turnkey salon business model or not? Uh, and if not, is there support and how much? Um, if there's not support, do you want to be involved in the daily running of it? It can be an enormous amount of fun. Uh, uh, But it takes time. And the more time you have and the more um, you you are involved with the business and the people in it, then I can pretty well guarantee the more successful your franchise is going to be. So um you know that's something else to think about, but again, you know is, is it a good play for someone to you know put their life savings into uh, their entire pension fund into and think that it's going to be a cash machine that's going to spit money out to them without them having to do anything well I, I would be really cautious about that. Um, you know it can be hard work, and like any investment, there's a risk envelopment uh, a risk element sorry uh, involved. But as I say, it can be an amazing business. It can be an amazing business opportunity. Um, it, it, it you know can lead to multiple franchises. and um, It can be very rewarding as a, as a, as a craft, as someone who stands behind the chair, seeing clients. It's incredibly rewarding. As someone who owns a salon, who is part of a community, who who builds up and employs young hairdressers and, you know, sees them succeeding and builds a brand. It can be incredibly rewarding. And yes, it can be financially rewarding. But is it a get-rich-quick scheme? No, without a doubt, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, So should you do it? Well, there is no cut-and-dried answer to that. That's up to you. But as the saying goes, buyer beware. And I think we've covered a lot of points in this podcast that, um, you know, allude you to some of the things that you do need to, to be aware of if it's something that you're considering doing. So, that's a wrap. So, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And thank you to all of those that have already lead, uh, left us a review. I read every single one of them, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. So, until next time, keep safe, keep healthy. This is Anthony Whitaker on the Grow My Salon Business Podcast, wishing you a good week.